Welcome to episode six of the Drowning Sound podcast. Today, we are starting a series of shows and vaguely inspired by the death of Lemmy. We are the road crew. What do the road crew do? What what goes on? Well, who's the village that's, that puts on those shows? You see those bands you love. Um, what really is kind of the, the things that happen and, and why do lights matter is mostly the big question of today. The uh, white light, white heat may be a, set, a phrase we've all had embedded in our brains, but do we really, really understand when a gig is special and when it isn't special and whether the lights have factored into that? Um, we first thought about doing this show because I went to see a band I really like, I think we talked about on the show before, and um, they had one light and it was on and it was a spotlight and it was probably the most boring live show to watch <laughs> because there was the band playing instruments and uh, they weren't really moving around very much and it was just a white light pointing at them and um, the room was pretty still and it was pretty hot and everyone was a bit bored and um, the lighting made it even more boring. Um, so what we really want to understand is why some shows have these sensational lights and what it is that goes into it. And uh, we're joined today by Ed Warren. And uh, Ed has toured with numerous artists that Drown and Sound loves and some bands that we don't love quite <laughs> as much. And uh, Danielle and Ed have known each other for years. And hello, Danielle, Drown and Sound's co-host. You've sent me a very interesting article based on Isaac Newton's theory of white light <laughs> um, as part of our research for today. This t- was way too deep for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this is not how we met. I think we met sort of in a pub, didn't we, back in Southampton? Oh, yeah. Years back. Before I was doing this and before you were doing that. Yeah, which is where it all kind of started for you, wasn't it? Yeah. In terms of like uh, your lighting career, which is now fused into next level lights. I mean, how, how did you get into, I think it was through delays, wasn't it? At the Joiner's Arms. Yeah, I was uh, I was working in a record shop in Southampton. Southampton in FOP? First, yeah, no, yeah. It, was, it was before FOP. It was called um, Essential Fop. Music. Oh, yeah, 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 I remember that. FOP, FOP bought it out and then went bust. Yeah. Um, so I was working there because I finished uni in Southampton. Uh, did a degree in journalism, which made me realise I didn't want to be a journalist. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I got a job in a record shop and because I love music, selling records and having fun, just smoking behind the counter and you know, <laughs> getting up to mischief. And uh, the delays were coming in a lot, hanging out, got friendly with them. I knew a few of them already before. And then they kind of signed a record deal with Rough Trade and mm. uh, went on tour. And they were like, well, why don't you come on tour with us and sell our T-shirts? So I was like, yeah, okay, cool. I'll just give up my job and go and travel around in a van with you guys. Sounds like fun. And it was. It was amazing. Was it a transit? It was a transit. It was like it was really cold and it broke down a lot and we were eating a lot of pasties. Yeah. Uh, I think I resorted to shoplifting quite a bit because I was literally <laughs> getting paid nothing. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it was good fun though. And like, So I sold their T-shirts in, these, like, in what we call the toilet circuit, small little venues around the country. Drank warm carling. Drank a lot of warm carling. I think I mind sweeped quite a lot, and you know. This show is not sponsored by carling. No, not yet. <laughs> well, I got up to a lot of yeah fun. It was great, actually. My first tour, I didn't actually. One of the stipulations was that I shouldn't drink, All right. because I think I had a bit of a reputation. So I was like, okay, I'll be clean for a month. Didn't drink on the first tour. Really? Yeah, I just that just came back to me. Yeah, yeah. and I did it. <laughs> So when when did it all from from selling the t-shirts? When did you sort of sidestep and sort of moonlight into the world of lighting? And how did how did that happen? Oh, it was a complete accident. The first day I've been on tour, I knew I, that's what I wanted to do. It was amazing fun. You're out with your mates, you know, mm. going to all these different places and making people have fun and you know having a good time. And um, but I knew I didn't want to do t-shirts all my life. It wasn't really for me. I didn't want to d- mix sound because I just really didn't really get it. Maybe I thought it could be a guitar tech or something. Um, I was trying to figure it out, literally trying to figure it out, and we were in the van and on the way to a gig at the Joiners in Southampton, and the band were talking amongst themselves, like, oh, yeah, Mike from the venue is going to do our lights tonight, and blah, 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 and something just clicked in my head, and I was like, hold on, guys. I've been on tour with you for, like, five months now. Why don't I do your lights? I know the set. I know I know what happens in the set. I can, you know, I can turn a light on and off to the beat. Mm. And they were like, okay. So they, they called Mike, and I still feel guilty to this day. They called this Mike guy and was like, Mike... Sorry, mate, but Ed's going to do our lights. Thanks for offering. Uh, that was that. So I turned up at the venue. I sold the T-shirts. During the show, I went to the little light desk. There was like six faders and a, a light switch. I remember it. The light switch uh, controlled the strobe, which was awesome. And uh, <laughs> I remember the first time I flicked it on, I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> this feels good. I found it. Is that the first time someone used the distortion pedal or something? Yeah, exactly. It was like, suddenly it was... It was like an awakening and... Uh, 
after the show, you know, I went back to the dressing room and I was like, hey, guys, I'm, I'm not doing your T-shirts anymore. <laughs> this is it. You've lost your merch guy. Yeah. Well, I ended up doing a merch still for quite a while after that and the lights. Uh, and yeah, it just kind of from, wow. from the from the first I was like, right, I'm one of the few lucky people to stumble across their dream job. Now I know that So at what point does it get to, to the point where you go, okay, so now I need to kind of learn how this all works, I suppose, really, isn't it? Because once you've kind of done it, you go, okay, I've got a real feel for this and I can, I feel like I can do this and I would be good at it and it's creative, but it's also working with putting on the show and the music and everything. Where do you start in terms of educating yourself after that? Well, obviously, it's, it's still going now. I really, really don't know what I'm doing, but... At the time... I, th- it, I think having seen your light shows, you know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> At the time, you know, we were still touring little venues and every day you would come across a different house lighting tech. Someone who worked in the venue looked after the lighting there. Every system was different every day, you know. The control board was different every day, so it was kind of like sink or swim. So every day I'd hang out with this guy or girl at the venue and they would show me how their lights work and the te- teach me the technical words for everything. They'd be like... Oh, yeah, we've got 10 parkans up there and a couple of movers. I'd be like, hold on, slow down. What's a parkan? <laughs> you know, and like, that, well, we'll get through that and Did learn. You, can you quickly explain? Because listeners might not know, because I don't, like, this is kind of what we want to, met, to give people a little bit of appreciation for the, the subtle details. And so <laughs> in the same way people might appreciate a fine wine, we're, uh, we're how them the, the sense the flavor. So a parkan is. A parkan is like the most basic of, like, it's, uh, it's what you see when you watch Live Aid, you know, or Queen. They've got the big lighting rig with the, the banks of different lights up at the back. They're all the, well, they're all the same, but they're all different colours, you know. They can, mm. Mm. But yeah, it's just all the same static. lights you might get in a church or a, a wedding or something yeah. like that. I know they're those like, ones with the arch around the, uh, the light that everyone's kind of familiar with. It's just a cylinder, really, a static mm. cylinder with a big light bulb in the back of it that glows through mm. and gives you like, a beam of light. So, yeah. And what was the next one you said? You said the uh, moving... Just moving lights yeah. in general. They're like, you know, they're the... the, the the things that move up and down that mm. beams of light pop out of and flash around. Yeah. And and then you've got to control the smoke machine too. Oh, smoke machine. <laughs> <laughs> Love them and I hate them. <laughs> the, uh, how many different types of smoke is there? Oh, God, I don't even know. <laughs> too many. But have, have it's, what, well over, or, it's too overcomplicated. What's your uh, smoke of choice or your mist of choice? Um, These, yeah. oh, I love a bit of dry ice. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't. <laughs> oh, he likes a bit of dry oh, ice. <laughs> So when you, you know when you were talking about when you first did the lights with delays and you said I know the set and I know the songs I know what happens, uh, Sean and I were talking before um, we met up with you this evening about you know how long do you have to live with a, a new album from a new artist that you're going to light for that you know that project that tour and how well do you need to know the music and so, and the people I suppose I guess maybe we should talk quickly for as people are tuning tuning in they might tune out if they don't know who done lights for so so. Some of the people you work with, like Metronomy or Fortet, like what was the process? Kind of like you, you thing you told me with Fortet, you found a chandelier for him recently. <laughs> so the uh... well, yeah, Kieran and I have worked together for uh, about six, six or seven years now. He doesn't do that many shows or tours, but when he does, he likes to make an effort and put a bit of money into it and mm. give people a bit of you know a bit of fun out there. Then we did a show in New York a couple of years ago and uh, our usual process where we talk about what we're into, you know, sometimes I go around his house and he makes lunch or, you know, we go out for a walk um, and uh, talk about all kinds of things that we're into. And we got chatting. I went home. I sent him a link to this company in New York that does a lot of ornate backdrops and scenic pieces and all kinds of lovely things that you'd see at weddings and bar mitzvahs and, you know... (laughs) And uh, I said him that, and he, he kind of replied after a few days, was like, oh, yeah, I really like this, look at this chandelier. I was like, okay, cool. So, I, you know, I went ahead and ordered it, and it cost a lot of money. I think it was like $2,000 to wow. get in. And uh, it was quite big, you know, 10, 10 feet wide and had loads of crystals and lights in it and stuff. We hung it up. Kieran doesn't arrive until late in the afternoon. He's got nothing to do, really. He comes in, plugs, <laughs> plugs his desk in, and, you know, that's it. He's, he's easy going. He's simple. 
And uh, he turned up at about two in the afternoon. I'd been there since eight in the morning getting it already. And uh, he turned up and was like, oh, you got the chandelier. So like, yeah, you asked for it. And he's like, yeah, but I was only joking. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but you know, I, we made it work and it yeah. looked cool and we got away with it. And it's just little accidents like that where you kind of find the magic in, in what you do, really. going to suit the music i guess maybe it'd be better to as we're talking about your origin story the kind of shows you remember growing up where you thought the lighting really fit that you must have had these residual kind of i want to do that when i do lights or you probably until you started doing lights maybe didn't even think about them because i think when yeah, when I, I started going to gigs i didn't really think about the lights but it's only when you see a show with really bad lighting it really makes you think about them and be either conscious. really bad lighting or really really good lighting mm. like uh who was in before i can't remember now ramstein <laughs> uh, <laughs> I used to go and see a lot of just indie bands and Britpop mm. bands and none of them seemed to make that much of an effort but the technology wasn't that advanced as it is now nowhere near so like a light show to be really good back then everyone, like everyone was talking about Jean-Michel Jarre because he had all the lasers and Pink Floyd because you know mm. they went out of their way but my first light show that I really noticed was when my dad took me to see Steve Vai at the Hammersmith Apollo and I was falling asleep <laughs> during it I was like 13 12, 13, falling asleep, not really interested in all that guitar noodling. And uh, every no, in this one song, he was hitting a note, and the lights would come on real bright, and I woke up. And then, uh, then I'd fall back asleep, and he'd go, and the lights would come on, and I'd wake up again. Yeah. Uh, so that's really the first time I noticed lights. But obviously, once I started doing it, I would think, oh, yeah, and I'd look back at all these shows and look back at like all the legendary light shows and start to kind of realise what works and what doesn't, and then just realising myself what works and what doesn't. The, the benefit of touring the, all the different little venues, all the different setups, and, you know, the stages are in different positions and the banner in different positions, it, it makes you realise what works and what doesn't, and you're like, oh, that light is there, but the, the venue yesterday, it was over there, but I think it works better there, so when I come to mm. design my own lights, I think I'm going to do that. Or, mm. It really helped me. It really helped me, like, kind of just kind of get my feet and chisel me so uh, after the delays what um some of the bands you work with maybe to we do a, a quick greatest hits of uh <laughs> from delays till now okay the, uh, your website has so many great names of yeah. bands that we uh we've probably i've seen quite a few of your light shows and there was i think i think the one that really stands out for me was when i saw the antlers play and you did it kind of last minute yeah and uh I, from what i vaguely remember you telling me it was a bit last minute and it was i was like i saw this light show and i text you going i just seen the antlers the light show was amazing you're like yeah that was me <laughs> the uh you, you made their shadows chase around the room and like it was so playful just with playing with their shadows almost rather than it being necessarily something that was very much about because their, their music's epic but it's epic slowly so it was i guess that's the the uh the way you have to play with something like that it's not about blinding people quickly but uh, anyway i was a uh, a compliment that i was uh, meaning to get out at some point tonight and it's already come out now um so what, what are some of the the acts you worked with over over those periods of time since i guess the delays was about 15 years ago or so was it that was uh 2004 three or four yeah, when about, i first went yeah. with them so since then kind of chronologically i guess it was the delays the subways the Kooks, CSS, um, Florence and the Machine, Peter Bjorn and John, Mumford and Sons, uh, The Strokes, uh, Metronomy, Get Cape, Wear Cape, Fly. Mm. Yeah, so you don't have to list it all. But Father John Misty. Father John Misty, yeah. I've done some shows with him recently. Fortet. Fortet, of course. There's a lot of air miles there, isn't there? Licky, did some shows with Lickily when she first started. Yeah. And and what do you There's think? There's loads of bands that I love. And what do you think was the yeah. moment in amongst that where um, it went from maybe doing something that was kind of complementary to some what people were doing to be able to design it and kind of build it? And I guess when you go to different size of venue, you suddenly be able and different size of budget. Yeah. You can start to bring a lighting rig in and start to design it as a show. And well, with CSS, they didn't have any budget really. They mm. were just out having a laugh and you know 
getting loads of champagne. So I managed to sneak a bit of money out of them for, for balloons. Mm. So I spent two years blowing up balloons every day. <laughs> I, th- I figured out I must have blown up like 10,000 balloons <laughs> over that time. Before that, I was with the Kooks on their first album, and they finally had a bit of budget later on in the year where we did a, a academy tour of like some of the bigger venues, and uh, it was the first time I got to design a lighting rig as such, and that was fun. That was like, yeah, I just went full rock and roll with that, and <laughs> yeah, it's quite similar to what I'm doing now with Mumford and Sons, actually. Yeah. So, did one, you, one did trick you, pony. <laughs> and, and, and what sort of advice were you getting from other people when you're putting a show like that together? Because I imagine to fill a space like Brixton is like it's probably a lot, a lot more lights than obviously doing the joiners. Yeah. And uh, the joiner, which are, if people around around the world don't know, the joiners is a venue that holds about two hundred and fifty people. It's about two hundred, isn't it? Yeah. Two hundred capels. Yeah. It's a, a kind of little local venue that's been great, and I think all of us, all three of us, went there quite a lot. Saw so. at the drive-in there. Yeah. Wasn't I lucky? Yeah. So good. Yeah. Whereas I saw Coldplay. Yeah. And yeah. Terrace. <laughs> It happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like the size of the venue and sort of obviously the desk and the budget and stuff. Did you ever find it kind of a bit awe-inspiring to think, how am I going to do it? Or did you just, was it a sort of gradual thing like I've done with radio? You just keep going and pushing yourself and... You still keep going and kind of blagging it. But yeah. I still find it awe-inspiring. Some of the sizes of shows that I've been doing with Mumford and Sons, I just, you know, I just walk around the venue sometimes when it's empty and just think, Christ... <laughs> <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> and I remember when you um, when you lit Mumford and Sons when they headlined Glastonbury, wasn't it? I remember yeah, on a personal level, just like all the messages going on to your Facebook page and stuff, going bloody hell, Ed. Yeah, that was too much. Yeah, <laughs> I had my mum there with me, bawling her eyes out, because <laughs> my parents took me to Glastonbury when I was sixteen uh, for the first time in '94, and uh, I've kind of been going back ever since and watching every band there. Yeah. and it's been kind of monumental. So when Mumford's to headline that it was that was a big one the yeah. biggest yeah that was a big moment I think it's quite interesting people that I meet that work on the road the way in which people that work in the music industry have always got records they talk about I think with the live in, with live there's there's certain spaces there's certain festivals there's certain gigs like the, yeah. the kind of really landmark and kind of like I, when we were chatting before you were like you went to see a band and they were like oh do you want to come to Bristol with us tomorrow and like that idea of being stuck in Southampton and just jumping in a bus and going yeah, somewhere else. It's exotic. It, <laughs> but there's something about the road which I think once once seeing gigs has kind of reconfigured your kind of body chemistry in a yeah. way, which I know is a very over-the-top way of looking at it, but it does. It's, it's like Glastonbury, is, it goes into your bloodstream and there's not another way of explaining it. How was it, yeah. Where, was there anywhere that, I guess, that you, as a kid, where you kind of had those moments that I guess Glastonbury is probably one of those those key ones and I, I, but I can imagine like hearing about the Hollywood Bowl and then doing the lights at it is probably a, or Madison yeah. Square Garden or some of the places you've done with yeah well, with well Wembley Stadium yeah. is the next one really I haven't done that one yet but is that, is that top of the hit list yeah I've done I've done support band there and I've done a support band at Millennium Stadium mm. yeah <laughs> football stadiums Arsenal, Arsenal Stadium's the dream really yeah. isn't it <laughs> for you yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, sort of talk about the colour of things now. It says on your homepage on your website that your favourite colour is blue. Yeah. Blue is quite a cold colour, isn't it? I think whenever I think of blue lights, I think of it being sort of quite icy and almost quite a sharp kind of. So that's quite interesting that you. you why is that your favourite colour? I think. I don't know. This has got really smash hits really yeah. quickly. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favourite colour? Yeah. I just love the way it works with other colours. Um, it just tends to work with everything. If you look around a studio now, you've got like a bottle of. What's that? Whiteboard cleaner. Mm. And it's blue with yellow and silver and it just looks classic you look at the sky and then you've got the sunsets that the red and the yellows that merge into the blue and the blue always looks great and i don't know you, just... you were telling me about your little signature thing as well that yeah lights 
bit of wankery, but no, no, I thought I, th- I thought it was really in- like I think like that idea of like because blue forms one half of it and it's that kind of the two things in the the brain's palette, isn't it? Yeah, it's just, uh, I can't remember. I, was, I think it was with the strokes. I realised that when you flash red and the blue LED colour together really fast in, in a, on a big scale, quite brightly, it makes everything around you jump like a three D like three D glasses, you know. Oh wow! And uh, so I've kind of done that every gig ever since. <laughs> Even with Mumford and Sons, when it doesn't quite work, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's your little signature. You scribble in in, in the edge of the of the page. Isn't yeah. It? So, yeah, yeah, I like doing that. It worked with metronomy really well, Fortet, and it works with more up tempo, dancey mm. stuff. But it, when you want to freak people out a bit and wake them up and <laughs> give them a bit of a boot, mm. is it strobing plus? It is. Yeah, because yeah, it's quite easy to just strobe all the time. I used to do it a lot. You know, just whenever a song sped up or whenever there's a guitar solo, hit strobe. I love it. Yeah. Mm. Everyone would be like covering their eyes. Come on, <laughs> enjoy it. Yeah, but now, like you know, when you when you realise after a while that it's more about people coming and enjoying the show and watching the watching the band play uh, rather than not being able to see the band play. Oh, mean strobe at certain points, but you'd find other ways of of, of replicating that kind of vibe and feel. And the red and blue thing does that quite well, but you don't want to do it for too long because people will pass out. Yeah, with with the certain um, lights, I mean, I suppose with some bands, you just want to get the excitement and that kind of classic live show feel from the lights, don't you? And then other times, I suppose, when the music is more experimental or you've got more room to work around creatively, is that more when you're kind of helping the English audience let go a little bit? Because we are a pretty static bunch, aren't we, sometimes? Yeah, Do you think that helps people loosen up a bit? I think so. Definitely at, like, certain levels of show... Are there certain colours maybe that work with certain acts a bit different? I noticed there's a few of the photos of your footlight shows where you get this amazing rusty orange colour that's... Mm. that's. I noticed a few acts have used recently and I wonder whether that's probably just a combination of good lighting, but it always looks great. It's that like sunburst kind of blasting out. Yeah, obviously that's going to work well with the more folky kind of acoustic Mm. bands. Um, There's Den, it works with them, and obviously Mumford & Sons and Laura Marling. Get a lot of mileage out of that kind of stuff. You don't want to be going crazy with acts like that. Mm. There's obviously going to be a few dark moments where you hit the deep reds and you, you backlight them a bit more. But more often than not, people actually want to just stand and watch these kind of bands and enjoy mm. them. And you, just, you don't want to distract from them too much. You just want to make the stage look good around them and let them create the show. Which they have been known to. At what point do you think the lighting goes from complementary to being when you watch maybe other people's light shows? I'm not asking you to slag anyone off, but what, at what point for you does it feel like it kind of becomes steps a bit over its mark as lighting? I mean, Just, you you were talking about strobing earlier. That's one of those things where it can be with the, with the wrong thing at the wrong time. Yeah, unnecessary strobing can happen. I think it's more where there's just like when it's just a really quiet song and there's too much going on. Mm. There's too many lights flashing randomly and you're just like, just leave it alone. Like for a couple of songs, every every show I do, I like to, a couple of songs where I just don't do anything. Just let the band play. If it's a really quiet song or mm. even if it's quite a fast song, that you maybe change the colour once halfway through the song. You don't need to go crazy all the time. Just let the music do the talking, mm. which is the essence of it all really. Nobody goes to the show to see the light show. Mm. That's the thought they should. <laughs> <laughs> when you were uh, when you were talking earlier about the, the chandelier and you got an almost like props and screens and stuff like that and kind of almost set building, I suppose, as well as the lights, isn't it? Yeah. Did you take any influence or inspiration from? I, mean, I remember when I was at uni in those Southampton days, watching loads of Michelle Gondry music videos and yeah. Spike Jones and, and all that kind of stuff as well. I mean, he was a maestro back then, wasn't he, in terms of ideas and repetition and patterns on screen and stuff. Did did that influence you at all? Do you think it did? But I didn't really realise until yeah. people tell me. Uh, my mum saw the Metronomy show uh, last year and said it reminded her of Tetris, which of course, like <laughs> everyone my age, played for you know the whole whole their teens. Um, yeah. What was it about the show that was? Was there an element that was? Was it? Was it a backdrop thing? Or yeah, I don't really know. It's all subliminal, really, mm. in your mind. Like anything, like everyone's influenced by everything they see, and I do apply a lot of stuff that I like into my shows. 
But sometimes, yeah, things just get to find their way through. Um, someone said the Metronomy show looked like a 70s porn set. <laughs> Uh, so, <laughs> I, I, I'm, I, I'm sure it tells you everything about me, doesn't it? <laughs> I'm sure I saw them on tour, and I can't remember anything that was. Uh, what, what were the main, the kind of uh, the tools of the trade you would have used that night? That have uh, put on those... astronomy. Yeah, uh, well, we got some set pieces built. I collaborated with um, Oscar from the band, who's who's got a lot to say with with the visuals as well. He's great. I love him, and uh, we work really well together. He he came up with the idea of the keyboard fronts to cover the fronts of the keyboards rather than just having the regular keyboard stands that look a bit boring. Mm. To make it look a bit more game showy, 70s game showy or, mm. you know. So we got these fit keyboard fronts built out of wood uh, which had lights inside of them so they would change colour. Uh, and then we built the rest of the set around that. I created as many different layers on the set that could each individually change colour so we could have all these contrasting things going on because I didn't want to do the usual moving lights flashing all over the place and going nuts and strobing. I wanted to kind of shock people with colour. So that's why I created all the surfaces. And uh, yeah, I guess there was a lot of pink and white and slower. There was a lot of sensual songs on the new Metron latest mm. Metronomy album. So it was kind of, yeah, it got quite sexual. <laughs> so would you say you were liking that more for the groove than the rhythm? Yeah. Or for like, because I, I, like we were talking before, like we, we've never really thought about the fact whether you're whether you're lying to the melody or the rhythm or the kick or mm. like what what because different songs is going to be a different focal point, isn't it? But it all depends. I guess with, a, with with especially with that last metronomy record, it's probably quite groove led, oh. and like that's probably where uh, the the rises and the falls and the lighting yeah. and and then the volume and the, the texture and. Well, that. metronomy are my favorite band to to translate into light. Favorite mm. music to translate into light because I've known Joe for years before actually before we were both doing stuff we were talking on myspace because i was making music and he was like just starting out as metronomy and we were exchanging messages so yes yeah, it's, it's quite funny actually i'm just having a little reminiscence yeah, myspace <laughs> it was nice wasn't yeah. it it's really nice how you could plant yourself in your own little scene that you wanted mm. to be in with your top yeah. friends but, um yeah the last metronomy album love letters I, I love it like i just i got it months before it came out and i just listened to it all the time it just came out really well, everything we did for it, and that's probably the light show I'm most proud of today. Call the shots Till you wake up Can every second On every clock It's getting late Yeah, that I know The hours come what sort of notes were you making when you were listening to a record like that thinking about like obviously you, you came up with a game show idea but like the I, I guess we want to kind of get a sense of the, the thought process that goes into it and then I'm guessing you take these ideas to Joe he tells you no that's terrible we're not having a giant phallic uh, thing on stage and... <laughs> no he loves it he loves the big phalluses yeah. <laughs> that, the phalli I think he calls them <laughs> I don't really force it I don't it all depends really but how it like but we have using metronomy as an example. I just listened to it nonstop for weeks, and then one day, it just came to me out of nowhere. Really, just thought, okay, why don't we build these a few little things and make them change color? Mm. And, and then, then, do you test that? Do you build it and test it? Yeah, I did the design. I drew, it, I sketched it out on a bit of paper, and then I put it onto a computer. And you know, you've got all these three D rendering softwares, different ones you can use. And yeah, I've only got, just got into that criminally, but now I love it. It's like change change the way I do things. But you design it on the computer. You can kind of make it look realistic. It's getting really good, that technology. And you can send the band even a video of the light show happening so they can see it. Because a lot of bands need... They can't just be told, oh, I'm going to make this red and that blue and then it's going to change and stroke. They need a lot of visual references. So you'd send them a mood board, a picture board of your influences, people you're ripping off, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and uh, send them the vi as much information as you can. So it's as clear as pictures they can get in their head. Because you've got to remember, you're turning someone's vision that they've created out of their, you know, from their heart and their soul. They've spent months, years maybe creating. You're changing that into something visual, and it's quite important. So you really want to make sure you're doing it properly and that they see it properly. And, and more often than not, if you do enough preparation and get it ready for the band in front of them, they'll go, yeah, I like that, or no, change that. Or It's only when you don't prepare properly and then you go out on tour and then, you know... That's when it becomes a nightmare. And I've had a few of those. <laughs> Never again, hopefully, but, you know, you live and learn. 
Yeah, definitely. I suppose it's when your reputation as well, when you've done so many shows that people trust your instinct as well, don't they? Which must be such a, a nice position to be in. It's a nice position. It's a big responsibility. And then you've got, mm. you know, it's a lot of pressure, actually. But it always seems to come come good in the end, you know. You've just got to kind of relax and let it let it happen. I don't know. I don't want to sound too pretentious, but it's kind of like writing mm. a song. Like You kind of just want to do it justice and get it right. And you know, you're gonna. There's always things that you go reference back to. Like I love certain light artists, like James Terrell and Dan Flavin, and you know, kind of want to get something of that into every everything you do. The same way that a lot of bands are inspired by the Beatles, or mm. it's the same. It's a, it's a, it's an artistic kind of thing to what, that extent. What, from your point of view, are like the cliches of lighting that are like that you sort of wish people would stop doing? Like, not. I don't. Again, I'm not like saying directly. Like, there must be things that are just like really predictable that you you try and like move away from um well on this uh Mumford and Sons design this year I've tried to keep the lights that are moving down to a minimum because it's got a, it's got quite easy to have loads of moving beams of light flying around the place I did it a lot with metronomy it looks great but mm. it's kind of been done to an extent now like a few years ago a, a light was created that gave a really bright thin beam of light a really long bright thin beam of light and if you look at any but not a laser so like a it wasn't like, a laser but yeah. a lot of people mistook it for a yeah. laser so that shows how good it was and you know everyone used it i loved it it was brilliant but it's kind of been done and it's quite hard to do something that hasn't been done there's some really good light designers out there that are really pushing pushing it out there and making things a lot differently i remember seeing the um dark side light show that uh nicholas yar's other project where mm. it's they're just two guys on stage and they've really only got two lights behind them doing the kind of thing that I guess Interpol and bands do and rock bands over the ages have done of kind of creating those big silhouettes but they've they've turned it into this kind of I guess almost like it's there's two each band member's got a light each and everything's got its own kind of EQ and explosion and <laughs> the uh it, it didn't seem like much I've seen other people do and the other one was um suddenly forgotten the name of the band who have these two light pods when they're on stage and um I guess with bands like Just East, oh, there was it, a whole... Uh, purity Ring. Yeah, Purity Ring, yeah. sorry, that was the one. And uh, I was just wondering which one, which sort of things you think of people starting to push things a bit forwards, or maybe they're taking it backwards. It's going both. It's mm. going backwards and it's going forwards. Like, there's a lighting designer called Squib, Ice Squib. Mm. Uh, he uh, does a lot of really cool bands and good stuff, and he did a design for Everything Everything on their latest UK tour, and... It looked it looked fucking great. Like it was basically a big screen at the back and a screen in front of them, and just colours slowly changing. I didn't get to see the show in person, unfortunately, but I've seen a lot of amazing pictures. And when it looks good in on iPhone pictures, yeah, right, you know it's going to be a good one. Have you seen that Flying Lotus live? Uh, no, they, they created that cube around him. Yeah, it's, yeah. Again, I've seen yeah. that in pictures. Amon Tobin. Yeah, he's a lot of good project, projection mapping and stuff that's going on. Uh, really clever stuff with three D mapping and. Things like that. But then, you know, you've got a lot of shows. Uh, Dan Hill does uh, a band, The Cortinas, and he's just made it into a classic-looking rock show, really classy-looking. Mm. It's basically what it's all about, just just keeping it tasteful and nice and not going over the top, stay in time with the music. <laughs> yeah. Just make, it, <laughs> just make it look really classy and tasteful, and you can't beat that. But when you're talking about... Um the light and the design at this level, it's becoming like such a, a big kind of experience for the person in the stage. And I was, I had this book and I was telling Sean about it earlier and it's a bit nerdy, a bit geeky when I did music and sound at uni, all about that. And it was saying how we don't see images and hear sounds as separate channels. When they're together, we see, we kind of audio view it as a whole sort of, what's the word, transsensory kind of whole, I suppose, really. And that's why it suddenly becomes so, so special, doesn't it? When yeah. you love the music and then it's brought to life even more, you can feel it, see it, everything. So It's great. You know when you've got it right as well, because when you're up there, you know, we're at, a lot of people don't know, but we're in the middle of the venue with the sound guy. So there's the sound guy just in front of the lighting guy or beside. But we've got a close team, you know, out there, and we, we're both... Uh, like you know, altering the experience of everyone who's who's there, be it hundred people, be it twenty thousand, you know. So when you get it right, and the band get it right as well, it's like everybody gets it right. Everybody in the crew gets it right, you know. When it's a really good show, and you can just stand back and look around at the venue, and there's people just having the time of their lives, mm. and it just clicks. That's like that's that's great. 
When you all stood there, like when you were lighting headlines sort of Glastonbury, I can just imagine it like being Cape Canaveral when they're sending a jet of like, everybody ready, right, we're on countdown. And some like American woman with a Madonna mic or something. It must be so exciting though when you're counting down to the show yeah. going live with all of you, like you say, like a massive crew. Well, Glastonbury, I just absolutely shit myself. So. <laughs> you like no drinks before yeah. the show. Well, yeah, exactly. I was, I, I you know, I, I got to Glastonbury on the Thursday and I went out Thursday, Friday and my mum arrived on Saturday morning, so... I, was, I behaved myself after that. Mm. We loaded in on Saturday night after the Rolling Stones had finished. Loaded in at midnight, and we finished loading at 6 a.m. on the Sunday. Wow. Slept. Spent the rest of the day just going around the healing fields with my mum, drinking teas and hanging out, and then uh, did the show. But, yeah. Trying not to think about the show, but also thinking a lot about the show. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I was, as soon as we had, I heard we were doing Glastonbury the December before, I was just shitting myself every day. <laughs> <laughs> Lost a lot of weight. How many times did you uh, wake up and uh, is it the equivalent of the dream of not being dressed, of like, not having a desk in front of you, no switches on it or something? Every All day. the bulbs blow. Yeah. yeah, every day. I've got a really good uh, uh, lighting, lighting... I don't want to call him assistant. Uh, no, it does him a disservice. He's like my right-hand man. He's my mm. wingman. Uh, he comes out with me everywhere. Did a lot of stuff with Metronomy, but he's done every month in Sunshine. You, you, uh, you forgot to give credit where it's due with oh, his uh, full name check. His name's Adam Shout Morris. <laughs> I've known him actually from Southampton. Actually, right. I've known him since he was like fourteen, when he was a virgin, and now <laughs> he's a big bustling twenty-seven-year-old. Uh, it's pretty cool, actually. We're like a married couple, but he comes yeah. out and does everything, and he's there with me every show. And if anything goes wrong, I know that he's going to be able to sort it. And you know, we've had a lot of bad shit happen in shows. Things are broken. Things have exploded, and you know, we always get through it. Glastonbury, my desk crashed in the middle of a song. Oh God! Live on TV to God knows how many people and. You know, he was there, switched the desk around, got it done. Wow. Do you have a backup desk, is that there? Oh, always. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, is, is it sort of like a mini computer, I guess? that's. It's a computer, yeah, yeah, it's a Windows computer inside mm. with, with some faders, like some complete boffin geniuses who make these things work. And, yeah, it's great. Like, actually, the company that does the lighting desk that I use are from Southampton as well, so... Keeping it low. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, so you sort of touched on what an average day was like at Glastonbury. What's an average day when you're on the road and you're in, I don't know, Pasadena or somewhere? <laughs> and the uh... it all depends on the, the size of the, the tour, the scale of it all. Let's use Metronomy for example. Last year it was just the core crew. Really, it was the band. You've got your tour manager who looks after everyone. That's like tour mum or dad. Mm. You've got monitor engineer who mixes the sound on stage for the band to hear so they can hear what they're playing you've got the sound engineer you've got merch you've got uh you know your backline techs who look after the guitars and the keyboards and everything make it work you've got a bus driver and that's about it really and me so you go around as a little family of 12 11 or 12 and you load in maybe one o'clock in the afternoon uh set everything up sound check three o'clock four o'clock you were, you were saying to me the difference of when you when you set the lights up yourself when oh, it's, it's and, when, and when you've got someone setting them up or when the venue's got them. So there's like a few different scenarios with that. Isn't yeah, there? there's a lot. Uh, but yeah, like with Metronomy, I was I was basically the the lighting tech and operator and designer all in one. So I would like, set my own lights up every day. Uh, pack is them that, up does that involve show. ladders and sometimes? I try uh, and avoid um, ladders at all costs. I'm picturing you like Indiana Jones on ropes, swinging oh. around, sticking lights up. Oh god. <laughs> Yeah, whenever yeah. you see people doing those in arenas, yeah. it's just like, oh my god! Yeah. I had some guys uh, taking the satellite dish off my house earlier today and <laughs> climbing up ladders. Heroes! And I was like, guys, <laughs> don't let me do that, <laughs> please. But yeah, it's different. Like it was, it was a lot of work on Metronomy every mm. day. You know, after the show, you go on stage and you pack it all up, and you know, a couple of hours after the show, you're done. So, but in that process of setting it up, do you set it up, light it, see what it looks like from the desk, move it around? Kind yeah. Of go, yeah you've different got, spaces. Are, every room's different, isn't it? It's different. You've got a little period of time called focusing where you'd make sure everything... You've got your show programmed on your desk. You've got each song programmed, each cue of each song, verse, bridge, chorus, blah, blah, blah. Little buttons for when you want to strobe and all that mm. kind of stuff. Everyone's different in how they program it. And then um, every, every day the stage is different size. So you're putting these lights down. Oh, it's in a different position today. So you refocus it. You put it in the position you want it. Record it. It's pretty simple actually when you go when you look at it. But it's, it's all pretty about pretty simple when you've done it for ten years. <laughs> probably not pretty simple if you were. I if you again, imagine yeah, the, yeah, you, yeah. the you that did night lights for the first time at the delay show. Probably not that simple. Yeah, I would have switched off this podcast by now. <laughs> Back to the beers. One of the questions I had was how different you approach it when it's going out on TV versus when it's people watching it at a show. Is there is there compromises you have to make? Sometimes. 
it all depends on the director and who they're filming it for, uh, what, why they're filming it, uh, the band as well. Like you get a lot of bands who just go, nope, I want it to be filmed exactly how mm. it looks. Like Interpol, I worked with them, I did a tour with them, and we filmed one of the shows, and they just didn't want any front light. Basically, the strokes are the same. The mm. Strokes at the time didn't want any front light. It, Julian just didn't want to be seen. So I had some side light, but yeah, it pissed off a lot of TV directors. But it was just like, this is what they want. They're the yeah. I was just thinking on a personal note, I'd like, I'd like to be backlit and never seen from the front. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it looks cool. Like, I love it. The, 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 least, the less front light, the better. If you work, because obviously this is such an interesting job that no one would ever tell you about if you had careers advice at mm. school. And what sort of brain, because obviously you were a musician yourself before, weren't you? Are you quite a mathematical brain? Do you have quite a scientific brain? Do you yeah. think that helps? I think so, yeah. I was always into like mathematical patterns more than the actual maths itself. You know, the kind of thing where you draw the vectors on the bit of paper. You'd... Spirograph. Mm. Spirographs, and yeah. You draw like a graph on a bit of paper and do 1 to 10 up to the top and then 1 to 10 across the bottom and then join 1 to 10, 2 to 8, mm. 2 to 9, 3 to 8 and all that and make these weird patterns. And I was into all that kind of stuff. And and I'd always find myself listening to a song, kind of just... That's amazing that, that Mike picked that up. That was a, <laughs> Otherwise, that would mean completely wasted. Yeah. <laughs> Tapping along and... Like like most roadies, I'm, a, I'm not good enough to be in a band. Like We're all kind of... Got a music. Most roadies have got a musical background of some sort. A lot of them have been in bands and, you know, been there and done that, or you know, not good enough to have got there. And I was one of the few that wasn't good enough to get there, and I'm quite happy about that because I'd rather be behind the scenes and in front of it. But yeah, a bit of musical background and that kind of but stuff also definitely be, helps. Being able to have like you were you were saying to me before the relationship of kind of the music and Matron with the music of Forte of like watching it twenty nights in a row. Oh. And then still talking to me like it's still your favourite record of last year. Well, you've and got still to love your... it, yeah. And that's like that's something that you can't have a qualification in. That's yeah. music has to sit under your skin in that way. And yeah. kind of we were talking about the importance of kind of small venues and how when you're growing up going to gigs at the joiners and like you wouldn't have ended up working in a record shop if you didn't care about music. Yeah. And uh, definitely, well, it might all start with my dad trying to force me to listen to Led Zeppelin records. I guess mm. when I was a kid, I'd be like, Dad, "What's this crap, Dad? <laughs> what are you doing? There's like naked girls on the front cover." I'm not like, but like definitely stem from all that kind of stuff really mm. and yeah once but, you've got music in you you want to just want to be surrounded by it don't you yeah. right, Daniel and you, you know. yeah number one qualification is just to love it yeah just enjoy it and I've been really lucky actually to work with most of the bands that I love I've worked with a lot of artists that I loved before I started doing lights and there's, there's really nothing better than when a band that you like gets in touch with you and going hey do you think you'd be able to do my lights? And you're like, um, <laughs> try and be cool. Uh, yeah. Like, wait an hour before you reply an email. <laughs> yeah, not look too keen. <laughs> Write it and then wait. <laughs> yeah, but it's really cool. I still get starstruck when I meet mm. bands that I love, and it's you know, I'm still a fanboy. I'd love to do something different. Like, I love to do Kanye West or you know, somebody who really like he really puts a lot of thought into his shows. Like, he gets theatrical designers in to do all this kind of stuff as well as lighting designers. And... On site. How much do I give a fuck? Let me show you right now for you give it up. How much do I not give a fuck? Let me show you right now for you give it up. I think you've done other stuff aside from lighting bands, haven't you? Am, am I right in thinking you did? What's the big late night, all night thing at Glastonbury? Oh, yeah, uh, the Kiss on the Apocalypse. Yeah, uh, the, the Mutoid Waste Company. Yeah, didn't you team <laughs> That's up a with short them? Name. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no wonder you could remember. No, but what's what am I thinking of? Arcadia. Arcadia. That's yeah. it. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, but you were to do with the sort of fire breathing. Was that you? Yeah. And there was a DJ inside and everything like that. So, so it's. <laughs> It's kind of going even further now, your your business, isn't it? Yeah, that was that was something completely different. I just got an email out of nowhere from this guy called Joe Rush, who's who's like he set up the Mutoid Waste Company. And if you haven't heard of him, you've definitely seen it. He's 
built loads of robots that are always around at Glastonbury and festivals. He's been going to Glastonbury since since the early 80s when he was part of the early rave scene and he would build all these giant robots out of old motorcycles and trucks and jeeps and they'll be breathing fire and moving and really, really cool stuff. And he's still going and doing all that. And a couple of years ago, Michael Levis approached him. He was like, hey, Joe, do you want to just have your own show at Glastonbury? You're always there and doing stuff. So we just give you a field and you can do what you want. And Joe's like, yeah, cool. <laughs> so I don't know how they found me, but he got in touch with me one day and was like, Ed, can you help light this extravaganza that we're going to do? It's this show called The Kiss on the Apocalypse. And we did it three nights, a w- uh, three, three shows a night for five nights at Glastonbury uh, in this big field. And it was brilliant. I got there a few days earlier and we, we were all set up and there was all these punks just fucking hammering into bikes <laughs> and setting themselves on fire and like, skulls all over the place. <laughs> and it was really cool. And we set it all up and went through the show. Like Joe's girlfriend is this, she directed the show and she was really theatrical about it all. And it was this, this whole storyline, underwater scene and an apocalypse scene. And yeah, I got my good man, Joe Dangerous in, who I've kind of uh, taught, brought, I've, I've taught him how to do lights from the scratch really. And he's now like gone his own way and he's absolutely smashing it. Uh, I got him to operate it all and we just sat around and, you know, got stoned and, did loads of really cool stuff with lights and robots. Nice. <laughs> nice. What more do you want? Exactly. Yeah. And then we come to do the show and obviously it rained and loads of motorbikes got stuck in the mud. <laughs> typical. It was brilliant. typical Glastonbury story, isn't it? But it was rated as the number one attraction in Glastonbury to see that year in the, in the programme and like it was busy every night. It was great. Mm. Made some really good friends out of it. Good, that's amazing. What are the, um, I guess on, on, on that note, what are the kind of things you think might be coming next in kind of live shows and lighting? Are there any like sort of things people are talking about or things that a few people have tried out that are kind of, I guess there was a period of time where there was like a few different types of lasers and there were some cylinder lights that people seemed to use quite a bit for a while that were like light tubes obviously were quite a, a 70s thing that came yeah. back because that kind of 70s kind of disco sound came back because there I remember one time we watched um, I was watching a show that I I was talking to you about you before about Phoenix doing mm. um, an etch-a-sketch thing across the stage yeah, yeah. with lighting and is there any sort of things that we, you might you might think might be shaking things up a little bit? Well, a lot of developments on from that Phoenix show. The kind of the projection technologies is going through the roof now, and you can basically make anything look like anything. There's a lot of really good 3D projection mappers going on that incorporate it. It's only really been done for a lot of dancey kind of stuff, but I can see it crossing over definitely into mm. into rock. It looks brilliant. Um, just yeah, there's probably like, stuff at live shows of kind of gigs that I'd never go to that. You're not going to see lasers at a Nick Cave gig, so the... Uh, <laughs> not until I get a guitar. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, but you imagine holograms and things and ghosts like haunting the stage yeah. at a show like that and yeah. like bringing that technology that's kind of a bit boring when it's when it's Tupac walking on stage, but yeah. when it's Marie Antoinette stepping next to Nick Cave. That wasn't really quite, a hologram, by the way. That yeah. really pisses me off. It was, more of, it was a Pepper's ghost illusion. <laughs> hologram technology isn't really out yet, but yeah. they call it holograms because they're lazy. Yeah, uh, you can get those little triangles go on top of your phones to hologram like t- type stuff now already. Oh, wow. They're uh, they're talking about building these bigger cylinders that you can put around stages so that you can create three dimensional maps with. Uh, but I, I wasn't sure whether that technology is something that's coming into live or uh, um, like kind of putting surfaces on the stage so that it can kind of create other things to project onto. I think has slowly started to come in. But wow, Sean, do you want a job? No. <laughs> <laughs> but um, creating those like bigger like people like backdrops have become kind of a like Sleater Kinney had this really th- amazing backdrop I saw at um, the festival a few weeks ago. And it, I think it was all women's dresses all mm. laid down and they had fans set up especially, but strings to hold it down the rest of the time. And it all it was like a gentle texture in the background. Yeah, it's great. Rob Sinclair designs a lot of amazing bands. I love this guy. He does uh, Florence and Machine's latest show and he's got a big silver sil- sequin backdrop, which looks awesome anyway. Mm. But then he's got loads of fans underneath it. So at certain points in the set, the fans blow all these sequins and they're going crazy and just lift the show even more. Yeah. But yeah, there's there's tons of new technology that's always developing, but it has gone... Lighting technology itself has got to a bit of a standstill, but it's just what you do with it now. Mm. Like, actually, it's gotten, there's a company in London called Light Initiative who have gone to... They create a lot of stuff with LED tape, the kind of stuff you see in B&Q home base, you know, that you put under your kitchen counter. Mm. But they did they, they built a lot of stuff for me with Mumford & Sons, and they did a lot of stuff with Metronomy where you can basically put a little, tiny little light inside anything now and light it up. 
Mm. I'm trying to picture what your kitchen looks like after you said that. You got, like, <laughs> is it like boy racer surfaces underneath all your cupboards? And... Yeah. Wait and see. Yeah. It's Christmas tree. Yeah. I'm just, I just listen to CDs all day, turning lights on and off in my lounge. <laughs> I do. Mm. But, um, yeah, they they uh, do a lot of stuff for Eurovision. They built they built light suits and all mm. kinds of mad stuff. Like, they're really pushing it out at the moment. And uh, what kind of dimmer switch should I buy? <laughs> well, the Philips Hue system, uh, which is available in all Apple stores, is uh, what I'd recommend. You yeah. can basically just screw a light bulb into any of your light bulbs and mm. turn it into an Ed Warren light show. <laughs> your own uh, at home, because that, surely that's the next step. People having their, uh, that you can buy a nice sound system. Or can you buy a light system to go into your house to 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 like turn the album into something in your... Oh, in your wow. Room. Can we edit this yeah. out? Yeah. This is too good yeah. an idea. <laughs> Tune in and watch the show live on Sky yeah. Arts and yeah. you've got lights going off in your house as well. Exactly. Six grounds of the par cans in your living room. <laughs> <laughs> They're melting all your ornaments. <laughs> um, and just before we wrap up, I suppose, um, you're down in Margate now. Do you want to get your setting up another little venture? Do you want to give that a mention? Oh, Margate City. I love yeah. it. Or, um, is, or is that a secret thing? Well, I'm opening a little coffee shop, record shop there fun me and my girlfriend nice and retirement plan <laughs> <laughs> nice and you're back out on the road yeah got some shows with Fortet coming up uh, Horn as well a new kind of really cool I uh, don't really know how to describe them actually that they're going to be ace got a couple of other things in the pipeline which I'm not going to tell anyone about because I don't want to jinx it it's all good all good love it and uh, if someone wants to uh, pick your brain to kind of do what you do what, what would you say the best advice kind of first step just start doing merch and uh, <laughs> you can go to school and study it there's a couple of really good lighting schools in in london and around that uh, have really good courses and mm. you know get really really in depth with everything way more way deeper than i ever know and is that just lighting for gigs or is that lighting for films and... i think they they're more theater based courses mm. but now you get a lot of the kids who want to get into the rock and roll because it's cool yeah and uh you know they take on a lot of really really good stuff they teach a lot of really interesting things mm. but um I get a few people every now and then emailing me and asking me what the best way in it. I always say, like, hound your local venue and try and get in there, you know, even if you're collecting glasses or doing whatever mm. at first. Just get in there and, you know, start asking the lighting guy questions without being annoying. And uh, just want to learn. Get mm. in there, just tuck in and kind of, like, to soak it all up. Or even, like, you know, give your card to bands that come through. Or, you know, if you really want to do it and you're really enthusiastic and you want to learn and you're not an arsehole, then you should be all right. Yeah, yeah, you can kind of feel your way. That's what I yeah. do with radio. I just press buttons, and when they, yeah. it didn't go right, I didn't press them again, yeah. basically, and the, just carried on. The best yeah. advice for anyone in that music, if you're not an arsehole, you'll be fine. Yeah. I reckon that's so true, though. The problem is... <laughs> because, you know, like, the hard work of touring is just sitting in the bus for nine hours straight with the same people, isn't it? You, you... I'm sure, like, with, uh, you're going to interview more people who work on tour. They'll all tell you the same thing. Like, you're a big family on tour. Mm. Like, you'd spend every waking hour with a group of adults who are away from their families and, you know, away from what they they know, but we're all doing what we love. And it's kind of like you all look out for each other. You all become best friends. You have a great time. You all chip in together and, you know. And if you're the racist granddad, you're not invited back for dinner. Oh, Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. But, yeah, you know, the, the bad eggs get filtered out and, you know, yeah. you just got just to gotta enjoy it. Have fun. Yeah, yeah. Just express yourself and be, you know, have a great time and don't get electrocuted. End. <laughs> <laughs>